Good morning, Gold Avenue Church. This morning we're continuing on in our series called Go and Make Disciples. The series is connected to the gospel tool and the gospel tool curriculum that so many of you are working through in discipleship groups. And so just as a brief reminder, if you want to check out that gospel tool, make sure you use the link above this sermon in your at-home worship liturgy. Last week, we learned about God as our loving creator, as the one who created each one of us special and for a purpose. And this morning, we're going to focus in on that concept of purpose, and we'll be looking at God as the one who gives purpose. But before we dig in, let's pray. God in heaven, I praise you that this morning, no matter where we are at or how we feel or what's going on around us, Lord, that you promise to be the one who sits enthroned over the flood. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be present to each one of us, that you would loose your peace over each one of us. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word, and the response to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I'll be reading from point four in the gospel tool, and then I'll be reading from Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, just a little short chunk there. And I want to give just a little bit of context to that Revelation text. So the book of Revelation is a letter, likely written by John the disciple, to seven churches in Asia Minor. And just before our text for this morning, John has begun to describe this prophetic vision that he had. Now, the vision is rich and it's full of symbolism that we won't quite get into today, but it's a vision that takes place in the glorious throne room of heaven where Jesus is seated on his throne. Multiple angels and living creatures and elders are there in that throne room with Jesus. This vision has many things and pieces to it, but it speaks to how the kingdom of God will come about in all of its fullness. And we'll be picking up towards the beginning of that vision where the living creatures and those elders begin to sing a song to Jesus. And so here we go. I'm going to begin with that point four from the gospel tool, and then I'll be reading from Revelation. Number four, created with purpose. With great generosity, God assigned human beings deep and fulfilling purposes on the earth. Like prophets, we are to name God's intentions and advance his purposes. Like priests, we offer ourselves to mediate God's presence and declare God's glory through our joyful submission and worship. And like kings... We are to exercise the loving rule of God over every corner of creation. And then from Revelation 5. And they, meaning those living creatures that John saw along with 24 elders or representatives, and they sang a new song to Jesus saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe 
and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this new year of 2021, in this year that has already brought so much conflict, division, and chaos, in a year where everything looks and feels a little different than it has been before, underneath all the tension and carnage, there's a crucial question being whispered all over the earth. What role is the church supposed to play? Is the church still relevant? Does it still have a purpose? And if so, what is it? Now, I didn't conduct an official survey But over the years, my non-Christian friends and acquaintances who have sat across from me at dinner tables or commented on my social media posts have unintentionally offered answers to some of these questions in sometimes subtle and sometimes less than subtle ways. They've said things like, Oh, come on, have another drink. It's not Sunday yet. You can repent and feel better about it tomorrow. Do you ever wonder if you're just being controlled? I mean, you guys have to follow so many rules. Don't you get tired of it? All the Christians that I've met have been really clicky. Is church kind of like being part of one of those exclusive country clubs? Don't take this the wrong way, but why are Christians so angry? It seems like they hate so many people. I mean, no offense, you do what you have to do, but I guess I'm just not interested in some spiritual crutch to help me make sense of the world. If it helps you to cope with things, that's fine, but I just don't need it. I don't think your God sounds like a very nice guy anyway. He hasn't done much for me, and he hasn't done much about all the bad things in this world either. To so many in the world, and especially in our current context, all too often Christianity doesn't look all that appealing. In many contexts, the church has taken on the image of some condescending exclusive club with lots of ridiculous and outdated rules. Christians feel like hypocritical, controlled, and controlling people who have absorbed religious platitudes in order to cope. And in many cases, God feels like some cruel, absent father refusing to intervene in the heartache and injustices of this life. Well, none of these ideas come even close to representing who God is or what God intended for his church and for his people. I do think that the sad reality is that these outside observations represent true stories of so many people's experiences with the church and with Christians. Well, I could say many things about each one of these observations that people have made for me. I think that in some sense, they can all be boiled down 
to one incredibly important point. When the church does not understand or live in to the purpose that God has intended, Christians accept an existence that pales in comparison to what God intended. And because of it, the church loses her witness. And when the church loses her witness, the world is not given the opportunity to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Really basically, when we fail to represent God, the world doesn't get to know the true God. And friends, look around. The world needs to know and experience the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the church, we need to know and we need to understand and live into the purposes for which we were created, not just for us, but for the sake of the whole world. Now that sounds pretty overwhelming. But the good news is that the Bible makes our purpose quite clear. Like a book with many characters, each individual child of God is created with a specific set of gifts and characteristics. They have a specific role to play. But together, we are all created to fill the role that John calls in Revelation a kingdom of priests. Now we're going to dig into this concept of a kingdom of priests in a few minutes, but for now, you've probably already pieced together that kingdom has to do with kings, with ruling and reigning. Priesthood has to do with representing and mediating between God and people. Now, this concept of a kingdom of priests is not a new one in scripture. While we find it here at the very end of the Bible, we can also find it at the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, 27 to 28, after God had made the earth and the sky, the animals on the land, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the planets, the stars, all of it, and Adam and Eve in his very own image, God gives mankind his first purpose. He tells Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. Like kings, they are told to rule over the earth. Now we all likely know the story. Adam and Eve fail to be obedient in the garden. And they commit the first sin that has been passed down to every generation since. In failing to rule over the serpent... And instead allowing him and his temptations to rule over them, Adam and Eve failed in their purpose. And the consequences were severe. Later on, and several generations later in the book of Exodus, we see this concept, this role, appear again. After God had delivered his people from slavery in the land of Egypt and called their leader Moses up to Mount Sinai, he met with Moses on Sinai and God gave the Ten Commandments. And he said to Moses, Moses, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, 
Then out of all nations, this people will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God set Israel free for the purpose of acting as a kingdom of priests on this earth. Now, as we trace the story of God's covenant people through the Old Testament, we see God calling them to fulfill the role of being his treasured possession and a set apart holy kingdom of priests. He repeatedly calls Israel not to practice the sins of the nations around them and to worship him alone. Israel is to be holy. They are to be set apart. As Israel is obedient, the people grow and they flourish. The Lord's hand of favor rests over them and they enjoy economic prosperity, times of peace, justice among the people in victory over their enemies. And because of it, the nations around them prosper too. The nations of the earth look to Israel as a beacon of light and are introduced to the holy God of Israel through the example set by his covenant people. They are God's treasure. And the world loves to look at and for treasure. The world is given the opportunity to see through Israel and taste for themselves that God is good. But like Adam and Eve, the people fail. And when the people are disobedient to God's commands, they suffer. Chaos and injustice plague Israel as they turn to idols and sinful behavior. Drought and natural disaster wreaks havoc on the land. People starve and Israel's economy tanks. And eventually they are taken over by enemies and spend centuries in exile apart from their promised land. Israel had failed to serve as a kingdom of priests, and because of it, the world was given a bitter and a rotten taste of God that did not represent him at all. Now you'd think that God might just give up at this point. He might give up on this idea of people serving his purposes on this earth. But God's plan wasn't finished yet. In the beginning of the New Testament, we find the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one tells the story of God's Son, Jesus, this one who is fully human and also fully divine, fully God. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' miraculous, God-breathed conception, the teachings that he gave and the example that he set. And throughout these stories, Jesus himself is referred to as a prophet, the great high priest and a king ushering in his kingdom to come. The people had not fulfilled their purpose. They'd failed in their role. But Jesus was playing that role perfectly. And he was beginning the work of inviting the whole world, every tribe, language, people, and nation into the profound purpose of being God's treasured possessions on this earth. 
Since the beginning of time, sin has been the source of failure for God's people. And after three short years of ministry, Jesus died on a cross, completely sinless, to pay the full price for those sins and every sin to come. Jesus died so that we might be free from the penalty of our sin, and he died so that all who believe might once again, through his sacrifices and through his indwelling Holy Spirit, fulfill our divine purpose. He set us free to be free. He set us free to be a kingdom of priests who mediate God's presence and who reign over the earth. We are to be a people set free and set apart to bring glory to the King of Kings. And so it's no wonder that in his first letter to the new churches, the disciple Peter, who had walked so closely with Jesus on earth, says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you, you new church, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now notice again, this isn't just for one specific person, a leader or a pastor, a teacher. This is for the whole body of believers. From Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between and everywhere since, This has been God's plan. And today, in this, the year of our Lord, 2021, this is still God's plan. God calls us to fulfill the purpose of being a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests to our God. So what does that even mean to be a kingdom of priests? Rolled into this concept are the responsibilities of three specific ancient offices. Prophet, priest, and king. Prophets name God's intentions and they advance his purposes. From Bible times and up until now, prophets have one ear to the Spirit of God and one to earth. They do the work of speaking that which is true into existence. They warn and they correct, but more often they give voice to God's heart and they speak his intentions. We might think of priests as an outdated role, but it's a role for us today. Priests play a very unique role. They give themselves over to mediate between God and humanity. Priests do the work of bridging the chasm between God and man made by sin. And in the Old Testament, they were in charge of sacrifices that made atonement for sins. Priests were people of sacrifice. They worshipped and they gave glory to God on behalf of the people. Priests also kept the fires in the temple burning. They were the only ones who could go into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And they had the privilege of carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the very presence of God. Kings played a role that we're probably most familiar with. 
kings were made to rule and reign. And though they wielded much power, kings cared for the needs of their people. They provided protection. They destroyed enemies. Kings enacted justice and they preserved order. In Deuteronomy, when God gives instruction to kings, he calls them to meditate on the law, the word of God, to such a degree that they would embody God's character and rule in such a way that brings about God's holy order. These are the purposes that God made his people for. They're the purposes that God called his people to and made a way for since the very beginning. And here in the very last book, the end of the word of God, the culmination of it all, we're caught up in a vision straight from the throne room of heaven where Jesus, even now, the perfect high priest, sits enthroned, prophet, priest, and king, enthroned above. And those gathered there sing a new song. And they sing, you, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. There it is. Clear as day. Jesus has redeemed us to God by his blood that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation can be given the honor of serving as prophets, priests, and kings to our God that we may enact God's rule and reign on this earth. Adam and Eve and the nation of Israel couldn't fulfill that purpose. But in and through Jesus... We can. And this isn't something that happens at the end. It's something that we are called to on this earth now. How would the world be impacted if Christians spoke only that which is true? If we all slowed down like prophets long enough to listen. And if we named what God thinks rather than what we think. And if we approach things from his heart and not our own feelings. What would the world see if the church was sold out for God's plan to redeem every corner of the earth? What would our own prayers, worship, and quiet time with the Lord look like if we all knew, like priests, that without a doubt, we have the privilege of entering into the very presence of God? What would our families, our neighborhoods, and our world look like if we did the hard, sacrificial work of mediating between God and the world? If the church rose up and took the time to lament and repent for the sins of the world, what would happen if we all gave of our own time and energy to pray for the needs of the world and in all things sought to bring glory to God? How would our own lives and relationships be impacted if we learn to rule and reign like kings? What, we, what would happen if we meditated on the word of God to such a degree that we learned how to rule and reign over our own emotions, our choices, and our behavior? 
what might ripple out of our own existences if we all sought to exercise God's loving rule and reign over our own souls, our homes, our schedules, our children, our workplaces, and wherever else God gives us influence. What might the world say and see if the people of God understood and actually lived into this purpose of being God's holy, set-apart, treasured possession? And what might our world look like if the body of Christ served as the kingdom of priests that this world so desperately needs? Church, we are not lost or without a purpose. We are not outdated or irrelevant, no matter what the world might say. Our king has not fallen off his throne. Our loving God has given us this holy purpose. And in Jesus, he has given us all that we need to fulfill it. He has promised that people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue will reign over the earth. And that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is worthy. Amen.